Excellent. Good morning. I need to, to take a moment. That one sort of always, when we sing it, hits me in the heart. You know, there's something, I don't know, I really like that one. <clears throat> now, and then when you all stood, and just, oh, it's, it does my heart good. God is good. And I love when he meets us here like this. And <clears throat> I love the opportunity that I have today to share from God's word with you. Again, as we gather as his church to proclaim his goodness. To give him praise for his blessings. And to worship as the church gathered here at Northridge. This past week, I was honored to represent our church and the Salvation Army uh, at several of the Remembrance Day ceremonies that happened uh, here in Aurora that were uh, held really to, to honor our veterans. And I'm so humbled to be invited into those spaces. I've got such respect for our, our armed forces, for our veterans who seek to fight injustice and pursue peace across the world. And I'm always honored when I have the opportunity to share with them, to, to pray with them, and to pray over them, uh, and to speak the name of Jesus to them. I think that's so important. Honestly, it's what we're called to do as followers of Jesus, right? To speak his name, to proclaim his name, to share the good news that we know to be found in Christ with those who so desperately need to hear it. That's what Carolyn talked about last week. Do you remember those of us, those of you who were here? We were called to reimagine or imagine again what it means to be the body of Christ, what it means to be and represent Christ's presence in the world. We were challenged through Scripture to give a thoughtful consideration of, of how we live and how we speak Jesus to a world that desperately needs to know. And so this week, as we look to God's Word, I want to build from that. And I want to explore what we're working toward as we live out being the body of Christ. As a leader, one of the things that I love to do, one of my favorite things to do, is to dream about where we can get to. Those of you in positions of leadership, you know, we call it vision, but we sort of have this dream, this vision that we, we live into. And we see the destination. And then the challenge is to figure out how to get there. And I love that part of leadership. And it's been so relevant in these days as we've come alongside leaders and our, our um, leadership team here, as I've been reviewing plans for phase two of this building. Oh, well, you expected something. A, or a, <laughs> anything. Because those plans aren't dead. We're not finished. I'm excited for that. That is the actual plans, some of them. Excerpts and taken from a... A, uh, a presentation. Maybe you've seen it before, maybe you haven't. But I am so excited to reimagine what God is doing here and wants to do here at Northridge in our community. And there'll be more information as we move through Christmas and into next year, but I want you to not forget that. 
to reimagine, to imagine again. COVID kind of hijacked some of the momentum we had on that. But not anymore. And it's time to rebuild that momentum and to get excited again about what God wants to do as we seek to, to have a facility that, that better allows us to worship together, that better allows us to serve our community and to meet the needs we see and to grow in our faith and in our walk. All for his glory. And so dream about that. Think about how you can help with that as we seek to build some momentum into phase two of Northridge Community Church. But today, for me, this is sort of an inspiration. It's a great analogy for what I want to talk about today. Because in any kind of visioning, in any kind of strategic plan, the root of that always takes place at the beginning. It's taking time to clearly understand where we want to be. To have clarity about the end goal. And architects are good at this. Do we have architects here? Anybody design buildings in our midst? No? Well, you know them, and they have a vision for the end product. When you're designing a product or a building, they know what has to be built. They picture the finished home. They, they get it in their mind's eye. And then they build plans to make it happen. And this translates to our Christian life. The person of Jesus Christ, as described in the Gospels, serves as an example of what our lives to, are, are to resemble. That is what Carolyn taught us about last week. To be the body of Christ, we align ourselves in discipleship and with the practices and attitudes and, and character traits of Jesus as portrayed in the Gospels. That's being the body of Christ extended to the world. And this then, this kind of life, it builds something. This lifestyle reveals God's deeper purposes. And it moves us from being individuals who you know, are, are on our own. It moves us from individuals to being united together through his name. And as people united in his name, we work in his strength toward building the kingdom of God. And so over these past few weeks, we've been in a series called Reimagine, right? You know this. Reimagine. We've looked at the church. What is church? What can it be? We've looked at the body of Christ as the church. And now we look at what it means to be the building. Not the building, the noun, but building the verb. What are we working toward? Let's imagine again how the church is building the kingdom of God. And to do that, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Isaiah. Thanks, Michael, for reading that for us earlier today. Appreciate that. Isaiah chapter 56 in particular. And I want, a little share, I want to share a little context as, we, uh, as you look that up this morning. This section of the book, this is a section where the prophet the messenger of God, Isaiah, where he begins to share some of God's plan for the ultimate redemption of the Israelite people. See, Israel as a nation, as a people of God, they've been sort of caught in this cycle of just a, a terrible,
terrible existence, really, at some points. They're God's chosen people. Through Abraham, you read about that. But they seek to live to please God as a nation. Ultimately, they turn away from God. They are disciplined for this disobedience, usually because or usually through another nation that comes and attacks and takes over. And then they suffer for a while under persecution, under oppression, until they remember that they're God's chosen people, until they repent and they turn back to God. And God often then raises up someone to rescue them and to lead them back into their rightful place of righteousness before God. And then they get comfortable again. And then they turn their back on God. And then another nation comes in and takes them over. And there's this whole cycle. You get the idea. There's this whole cycle. You can read all about that, particularly in the book of Judges. The book of Judges is just the story of the people messing up and suffering and repenting, coming back to God and God rescuing them. It's just a cycle over and over. And they're caught in this way. And so this cycle happens for generations and generations of Israelites. And so that's the history that Israel are, are carrying. And into that place, through Isaiah, God speaks hope. And he begins sort of in chapter 40 by describing how this cycle is going to come to an end because God is going to raise someone up who will lead the people into something new. And he begins to describe Jesus. Not by name, but by his action as the Savior of the world. And Isaiah says that he will bring forgiveness and God's Spirit will dwell with him and he will enact justice and he will open blind eyes. He will free captives and establish God's kingdom as the Savior of the world. That he will be the Messiah. And you can read all of this in Isaiah from about chapters 40 to 54 or so. And I'd encourage you to do that some point this week. Take some time. It's not real long. But then in chapter 55, the tone sort of changes a little bit. And the prophet shifts and he begins to explain what this means for the people. That God's plan will be enacted. The Savior of the world is coming and an invitation is extended to those who hear. Isaiah 55, verse 1. This is from the New Living Translation. God, through the prophet, says, Is anyone thirsty? Then come and drink, even if you have no money. Come, take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that doesn't give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me, God says, and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen and you will find life. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. I will give you all the unfailing love I promised to David. Now see, for us today, we understand this in the context of Christ. Christ, this is an invitation to be part of his body, to be part of the church, to drink in his forgiveness and to share his unfailing love through covenanted, through covenanted relationship, commitment to him. And here in these, these words, 
we gain a glimpse of the kingdom that God is building and going to build and going to use Christ to do. Chapter 56, then, it outlines what the appropriate response would be. If chapter 55 is the invitation, are you thirsty? Come and drink. Then chapter 56 is what happens and how we come and drink. 56, Isaiah 56, verse 1. This is what the Lord says. Be just and fair to all. Do what is right and good. For I am coming soon to rescue you and to display my righteousness among you. And I love how this passage starts. In my mind's eye, I, I sort of picture God speaking these words over his people, teaching them. Not unlike, you know, a parent would talk and teach their kid. This is a lesson in God's goodness. He says, do what is right and good, because I am coming to rescue you. And that word rescue, also translated as salvation. God says, do what is right and good, because I'm bringing salvation. I'm sending salvation. And that word salvation, in the original Hebrew, is Yeshua, which we get Jesus. And so, here, unbeknownst to the original readers, but I love how God brings things together, God says, I'm sending Jesus to be your salvation, to rescue you, to show you what my righteousness looks like, to show you what right really is. And I love that. I love how there's this explicit connection between God's goodness the invitation and the call that comes from that. I love that. And we learn here in these verses as well that God is concerned with justice and fairness. It tells me that God is concerned about how we treat others. And this matters so much to the church this day. Because if we are to be building the kingdom, if we are to live to please God, then we have to be concerned about how we interact in fairness and in justice to those around us. And this verse doesn't say treat everybody fairly as long as we agree or as long as it's easy. It doesn't say treat everyone with fairness as long as we're all on the same page. God says, be just and fair to all and do what is right and good. And we see that in the ministry of Jesus as it's reported in the Gospels. And so as followers of Christ, we are to live in the same way. And so as you think about that, in order to kind of reflect on that and to make it personal, we hear this and we ask ourselves, Honestly, because God already knows, but honestly, in every interaction that we have with somebody, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the lifestyle, regardless of where they've come from or how they voted in the election, ask yourself, am I treating this person in a way that would please and honor God? Remember the bracelets that used to be around? What would Jesus do? It's the same sort of question. 
is how I am treating this person, my attitudes toward them, is it reflective of what God would see as revealed in Scripture? As we imagine or reimagine again what building the kingdom of God looks like, we recognize that we are to pursue justice and fairness in our action with others. And two, we're called to recognize that anyone can join us in that. Isaiah 56 and verse 3. In the New Living Translation, God says, Don't let foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord say the Lord will never let me be part of his people. And don't let the eunuch say I'm like a dried up tree with no children and no future. For this is what the Lord says, I will bless those eunuchs who keep my Sabbath days holy and who choose to do what pleases me and who commit their lives to me. I will give them within the walls of my house a memorial and a name far greater than sons and daughters could give. For the name I give them is an everlasting one and it will never disappear. He says, I'll also bless foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord, who serve him and love his name, who worship him and who do not desecrate the Sabbath day of rest and who hold fast to my covenant. I will also bless the foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord who serve him and love his name, who worship him and do not desecrate the Sabbath day of rest and hold fast to my covenant. I will bring them to my holy mountain of Jerusalem and will fill them with joy in my house of prayer. I will accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Amen. We are called as the body of Christ to live in such a way that we are an asset to God in his kingdom building work. Now what is this kingdom? It is the fulfillment of God's will on earth. And he says anyone can join us in that. We read that and it's explicit that God wants us to be encouraging, welcoming others into this fellowship, no matter their past or their present circumstances. And he uses the example of eunuchs in that section. Do you know what a eunuch is? In this day and age, eunuchs were usually men castrated and who were brought into service of the king. They were often castrated because they were in service of the king and the king had all these wives and he wanted to protect that and so you take care of that. But in the context and in the day and especially in the Hebrew culture, God's blessing was directly tied to how many descendants you had, how many children you had. That's what God promised Abraham, right? I will make you a great nation. And so when God references eunuchs, the context behind that is saying, look, it doesn't matter where you've come from, it doesn't matter what you've done, who you've served in the past, that you find yourself sort of on the outskirts, that people might not think of you as blessed. He says, you who believe in me have a place in my kingdom. And I will give you a name, Scripture says, what God says to them, that's far greater than any son or daughter could ever give you. This is what the Lord says. I will bless those eunuchs who keep my Sabbath holy and who choose to do what pleases me 
and commit their lives to me. And here's the key. God says that all who would honor him, all who choose to do what, please him, what pleases him, all who commit their life to God are welcome in the kingdom. It's the only qualifier. And God says this part again. He says it twice. So he talks about eunuchs and then he talks about foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord and who serve him and bless and love his name, who worship him and do not desecrate the Sabbath day of rest and who hold fast to my covenant. I will bring them to my holy mountain and fill them with joy in my house of prayer. I'll accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. We are called as the body of Christ to live in such a way that, that we are an asset to God in his kingdom building work. Now, you may have been sitting here all this time and thought, okay, Fred, well, what is the kingdom of God? We've been talking about it. We've said sort of what we're building. We've talked about the kind of lifestyle, but what are we really getting at here? Break it down for me. Let the rubber hit the road, Fred, enough. Is that what you're thinking? That's what I'd be thinking. What is the kingdom? Simply put, the kingdom of God is the fulfillment of God's will on earth. And God's desire is that humanity would experience the salvation extended to us through Christ's life, death, and resurrection. And then as forgiven people, as disciples of Christ, we are invited to live out God's will on earth and to work toward it. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so as his body, us, extended into the world, representatives of Christ, seeking to do his will, we call it mission. Seeking to live out God's will and Christ's love to a fallen world. And God's will is that we would live in his service, seeking to share his love and his goodness with all those around us, as we pursue justice, as we seek to live with righteousness according to Christ's example. And for that, God receives glory. That's kingdom building. Do you remember how I started this message, this devotion today? I used an analogy of a building. And I talked about the importance of having a vision of sort of what the finished product looks like. Well, God's word describes that. And just like the architect has a vision and gives plans then to the builders, the builders have to look at the plans. And they have to decide if they have the skills, if they have the talents, if they have the experience needed to build that end product. But here's the kicker. As followers of Christ, seeking to do God's kingdom work, we can only build that which is being built in us. We cannot live out something that we haven't experienced. If you go hunting and you hire a guide, you wouldn't hire someone who doesn't know the land, doesn't know the animals, 
you're hiring a builder to build a house. You want someone who knows what they're doing, who's experienced it, who's done it before. As kingdom builders for God's, seeking to live out God's will. In order to build God's kingdom, we can only go as far as what God is doing in our hearts and in our minds. And I want that for us. I want you to be a partner in God's kingdom work. I want us to imagine and reimagine how we can seek to grow God's kingdom, how we can live out his will. I want us as a church to journey together and to share the love of Christ in our neighborhood. I want us to meet the needs that we see around us in Christ's name. I want us to proclaim and speak Jesus in dark places to people who need to hear it. I want us to be building God's kingdom. And to do that, we first have to be seeking for God's kingdom, for his will to be built in us. And so, after all this, it boils down to one question. What does your relationship with Christ look like? What does God want to build in your life? And are we limiting his ability to do it? Are we content to live in tents when God's vision is something more? Are we content to have rooms in what God is building in our hearts, rooms in our hearts that are walled off to what God wants to do? Or does he have the opportunity to speak into every aspect of our lives, who we are. What does your relationship with Christ look like? I'm going to invite our worship team to join me just now. I'm going to invite them and you and us to share a song together, but the reality is that first, this song, it's got to be a prayer. And it's my hope that it would be an earnest prayer from deep within us. The words say, Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. And I will build my life upon your love because it's a firm foundation. And I will seek to put my trust in you alone, and I will not be shaken. See, today, every day, I believe that God is calling us deeper in our spiritual journey. I think God wants more from us than simply attending church. I believe that God desires for us to build his kingdom And to do that, he wants to build his kingdom in us. He wants to see his will fulfilled in our lives. And so let's reach out to him in that. Let's be honest. Let's seek his forgiveness if that's where we're at. Let's ask for encouragement to speak the name of Jesus as we proclaimed last week. Let's pray for opportunities to be a transforming influence to bring Christ's love into hard situations. Let's be submissive 
to his will and his leading in our lives. Let's choose to build our lives upon his love that we can be used as kingdom builders, fit for the task. And so let's share this song together. Make it your prayer as our worship team leads. And let there be freedom in this place for God to move, for his spirit to to share among us. But let's take the opportunity that we have in these sacred moments to come before him today.